You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. All right. This, uh, we've been working on a series, working through a series of faith. And uh, if you recall, the very first week we, we shared about this aspect of faith being the need for us to believe for impossible things. It's difficult to believe for things that are already in existence. But I believe God calls us to faith where we believe and we strive. We, we, we believe for what isn't. And uh, it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Or did I get that backwards? No, I, did I get that right? It is right. Okay, thank you, Graham. Okay, that's good. Good start, isn't it? When I'm not quite sure what I said, what the Bible says. Um, the second week, uh, Julian shared on the, having faith in the routine or ordinary times of life. Faith isn't just about these kind of grand moments where all of a sudden the stars align and God comes with his glory. And all of a sudden something miraculously happens. But actually it's in the everyday routine things of life. We need to be acting and living by faith. And uh, it's in the job place. It's in it's in your school. It's in uh, going for, for grocery shopping. In these moments when sometimes we least expect it. It's being open to the voice of God at those moments. And being active in our faith to see what he would do in and through us. Yeah? The third week I, I shared on testing, the testing of our faith. When life doesn't quite go to plan, when we obey God and we talk about the disciples, they jumped into the boat and were, were journeying across the lake and suddenly a storm hit and they were in the boat going across the lake because Jesus said to go across the lake. They were obedient. They were following God's command. And yet in that storms arose. And uh, the point of the message and the point of the heart of, of that is that God doesn't forget about us. Jesus' eye was on them the entire time and knew the plan he had for the, uh, for the disciples. And the same for us. Life doesn't always go to plan and there's a testing of our faith that develops maturity in us. And so all of us can expect when we follow Jesus, he will not always just lead us on the road that's kind of the big motorway of life. That we just kind of cruise, put our, our life on cruise control and we just don't hit any bumps along the way. But often it's more like the outback trails of life where we, we hit the, the forest, we hit the challenges. God is with us, he doesn't forget about us, but in those moments we have to trust in him, we have to hold on to him and he doesn't let us go. And so this week we're, we're moving it forward and uh, we're looking at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Very interesting question. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is a God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Great statement, isn't it? And shudder. You foolish man. You do, uh, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. 
In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so today, we're going to look at, as kind of the end of this series, the balance to the equation. Faith isn't just something that's a super spiritual activity that we do in our bedroom. But actually, it's got to be lived out in the everyday bits of life. James was writing to the church that it's not possible to have faith without works. The things that we do, the actions that we take, our faith has to be lined up by somehow our our lifestyle, what we're doing. To start with, we know that we're saved by faith and not by works. And so in some ways, it seems almost like this passage is a contradiction to what we see in, say, in Ephesians, where, where our salvation is a gift Of God by grace. And yet. In understanding our works. We also. We know this kind of foundation. That we can't earn our salvation. No good works can pay the penalty. So our faith really is a starting point. Isn't it? We start with the basis of faith. I can't be good enough. To pay for my sins. For my salvation. I can't do enough good things. For God to say. Do you know. Well done. You've done it. I don't. You don't need Jesus anymore. Because you're now good enough. You've helped enough poor people that you've kind of covered all the other bad things you've done in your life. Because the penalty for sin is death. And so Jesus, as we just just remembered with, with communion, Jesus paid the price for us. So that you and I don't have to pay that price. We don't have to, we don't have to try to kill ourselves or, or do something and somehow pay for that penalty. Because Jesus, once and for all, paid it for all mankind. So it's a free gift when we say, Lord, I put my faith into you. Jesus, I give my life to you. We immediately step into this place of salvation. All that Jesus did upon the cross is now mine. And that's a free gift completely. But that's a starting point. I'm now, I'm now grafted into the vine of Christ Jesus. But now there's a, there's something that is required of me to now live this out. It isn't just a one-off prayer that we pray some service or sometime in our bedroom and now it's all good. Because His spirit now is living in me, and now I need to start living a life that reflects the faith I just said I had in Jesus. If Jesus truly is my Savior, if He's my hope, then actually my life needs to start reflecting that. It needs to look like He's in charge of my life, that there's there's something there. Faith is doing... Faith is, is what we say, but our deeds need to obviously be backed up by this. And our life demonstrates our faith, if faith truly exists in us. It's not enough just to believe. It's an interesting statement, as we've just read, that, you know, the demons believe Jesus. And a lot of people, you know, it's interesting when the census has happened, I think last one was 2011, you know, a lot of people tick themselves as Christians because they believe in Jesus. But it's not enough to say, I just believe in Jesus. Because the demonic realm believe in Jesus, but that's really not the point, isn't it? I can believe McDonald's exists, but it's a whole other thing to go into the restaurant and eat something, right? To partake, to, to be part of it. It's not enough just to say, I believe or I have faith. I've got my faith. I've heard people say, I've got my faith. Well, actually, it goes beyond that. And as verse 26 summarizes this whole passage where it says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The body needs the spirit. Or actually, if you look at the, the, the original re- meaning of even the spirit, is the breath. 
And if you've been around someone who's passed away, it's just a body. They're not there anymore. What's different is their spirit has left. The, who, was, who they really were is now no longer there. And what is there is just a corpse. And in the same thing, faith without deeds is the very opposite. Faith being the corpse and our deeds being the life inside of the corpse. Isn't it interesting? That's, that's exactly what James is saying. Faith is the corpse, is the body. But actually the spirit, that what gives the body life is the deeds inside of it. Interesting thought process, isn't it? Now, James goes on to explain this in three different examples he gives to help us understand what faith, how faith is worked out in the everyday bit of life. And so we're going to look at it today from this understanding of what does it mean to have works added to our faith? What does it mean to live it out? What does it mean to put it all into action? How do we demonstrate our faith? And the first one is in verses 15 to 17. He writes this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so the very first thing that James is talking about here is this need for practical service, where we actually have a genuine concern for one another. How our, our faith is demonstrated directly uh, is connected with how we care for one another. Our genuine love. Why is this important? Why is it important that actually our faith is connected to the care and concern we have for the people around us? It's because that's God's heart. Right? If we are saying we're a follower of Jesus and we're gonna, we're, we're, we have our faith in Him, well then, what that means is that in me is now a love for the people around me. Because that's God's heart. And faith in Him means I've, I've got actually something in my spirit. His spirit is in me, dwelling in me that says, you know what, the people around me are important. And if someone's in need or someone's got an issue going on, it isn't, it isn't good enough anymore for me to say, you know what, I really hope it works out for you. Tough that you're in that situation. When I know I have something I could contribute to this situation or I could help in some meaningful way. Being practical in our help Again, we have this story of, you know, Jesus was asked about who's our neighbor, who, who do we love? And I know we've talked about this in the, in the past weeks about loving our neighbor. But the Good Samaritan story is such a great example of this practical love demonstrated in, a, in an everyday kind of situation. Giving of themselves. I believe though it goes beyond just helping those in need. It's, it's living out a Christianity in everyday life. Displaying God's character is what true faith is all about. You see, I, I don't know if you've heard the statement that we're sometimes so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. How many of you heard that statement? Being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You're, you're so caught up in the clouds that the world is, is going through all sorts of things around you and you don't care because you're just, I don't know, waiting for Jesus to return. The reality is, is that if His Spirit truly is living in me and if I've got my faith genuinely in Him, then there's something in me that says, I've got to do something about this. I can't just stand by and let someone be in need. I can't just stand by and, and watch my neighbors struggling with the situation. I gotta get involved because that's God's heart in this. And there's something in my spirit that prompts me to do something about it. To engage, to kind of put away my kind of busy schedule and say, do you know what? This is more important than, than watching the telly tonight. I, I need to go visit that person. I, I need to call that person. I, I need to maybe financially help this individual. 
You see, it's, the, it's displayed in God's character, his generosity. God is generous with us and he calls us to a place of generosity. He calls us to a place to be forgiving, to be kind, to be loving, to be accepting of others, to be compassionate. It's really the fruit of our lives. As people look at us and we profess Christ as our Savior, as we profess ourselves to be Christian, the people look at us and say, do you know what? I see that because there's fruit showing. There's a lifestyle. There's a genuine concern and compassion for people. Thus, you really are a Christian. You see, I think it's an irritant to people when you say you're a follower of Jesus and you don't care about them. Because it seems hypocritical, doesn't it? Even to people who've never been in church in their life. It seems hypocritical for the church to say, we love Jesus, but we hate you. Right? Come on. There's people all of us have in our lives that are just a struggle. They require extra grace, extra love. And it's not easy. We have people that we could just choose to not have in our lives if we could. Sometimes they're family. You know you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Right? And sometimes family can just be awful. But you've got to love them, and you've got to care for them, and you've got to show Jesus to them, even sometimes when it's difficult. But it's our neighbors. Sometimes you can't choose your neighbors either. And sometimes your neighbors need to know the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus working through your life. Because that's the only, sometimes that's the only picture of Jesus they're going to see is you. And if you go to church Sunday morning and yet you're nasty to them all week long. It's like your faith is not backed up by your deeds of your life. And so your faith now is worthless. Can such a faith save anyone? James starts off saying that. Can such a faith save anyone? If you don't actually live out what the Christian faith is all about, does such a faith actually save one? Well, I think he answers the question by saying it has to be demonstrated by a genuine life. Again, going back to what a theme we looked at at the end of last year, loving the invisible God by loving the visible people. But then he goes on to give a second example. So we could kind of just park there and say, well, that's what deeds is, is to care for one another. But actually it goes on beyond that. Because he first talks about helping the people in need, being actual God's hands and feet extended to the world around us. But then he goes on to start talking about Abraham, which actually has nothing to do with helping people. The story, the little bit we read about Abraham actually has nothing to do with the caring for the needs of other people. But it has a whole different context now about faith lived out in action. And so to, we're going to read verses 20 to 24 again. It says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his action were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So where's the second example? Where's the point to this? Is that faith with action means obedience to what God is asking us to do. With no questions asked. Just doing it. Why was Abraham considered righteous? It isn't because he just believed in a God. It's because God asked him to do things and Abraham did it. It seems so simple, doesn't it? To just do what God's asked us to do. And yet it's so challenging to actually do it. It's so easy to kind of put on the front of, yes, I believe God. Oh, yes, he's so wonderful. Oh, I love Jesus. 
Until he says, okay, but now I want you to engage. I want you to do something. Abraham simply obeyed God. He moved to a foreign land that he didn't know where he was going. But he just says, if you're going to, if you're calling me to go, I'll go. That's faith in action. That's faith and obedience. His father was asked the same thing, but didn't do it. But Abraham took the voice of God and said, okay, if you're asking me to go, I'm going to go. I'll, I'll, I'll follow your, your lead. Then when the promise, the final promise was, was fulfilled in, in Isaac, when in their late age they, they had a baby boy. And the joy, I'm sure, was in their hearts of, yes, finally we see the fulfillment of the promise that I will be the father of this nation. And then, the audacity of God to say, I want you now to sacrifice your son. And what does Abraham do? All right, son, we're going up to the mountain. And we're going to do a sacrifice to the Lord, and it's going to be you. Well, he doesn't say that, but he knows that's what's going to happen. What is the point of this? Is that, and what, what is the illustration for us? Is that Abraham just took God at his word. And because of that, it was credited to him as righteousness. What was, well, how are we, how do we receive our righteousness? By putting our faith in Jesus. We receive the righteousness of Christ. But this faith that we have in Jesus is not just a faith that just says, I believe something in my heart, but do nothing about it. Our faith in Jesus says, I'm willing to say yes to whatever you say of my life. It's backed up by a willingness to simply obey what he says. There comes a point when we all have to do something. There comes a point when Jesus says, Ow, now I want you to do something. I want you to go here. I want you to do that. I, I want you to change here. And at some point, you and I have to do something. It isn't enough just coming to church on Sunday, living out this kind of Christian life in this context, keeping your seat warm on a Sunday morning, because that's easy. But sacrificing your dreams or moving or giving up what you thought was going to be your future because God is asking you to do something different. Those things are hard. But I believe true followers of Jesus, people who really put their faith in Him, are willing to say yes because of what it's God who's asking. And God, if you're asking, even though I don't understand where I'm going, I don't understand why you're asking this of me, I'm willing to do it because you're God. And I want my faith to be backed up by what I do. We can't stay where we are when God says to move. You can't be positioned in your seat when God says it's time to move on. The Israelites, when they were in the desert, they followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. But when the cloud started to move, they had to move. They couldn't just stay where they were, otherwise they're going to die. Their protection was staying with the cloud, was staying with God. When God was moving and was journeying forward, he, the, 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 the safety, the net that they all had was to stay with Him, to stay in step with God. And you know what? You and I, our, our faith needs to be lived out in this way. When God is moving, when He's doing something, we gotta keep up with Him. We can't just stay behind and say, well, I will, I'll just, I'll keep the home fires burning here, God. You just do whatever you're doing. I'll make sure it's all okay here. My safety nest is okay. Oh, God says, I, I want to journey with you. I'm calling you out to move forward. And so to truly be someone who puts their faith into action and says, God, I will go where you ask me to go. I will do what you ask me to do. And I will be who you ask me to, to be. The answer is yes. 
What is the point of the second illustration? Is for you and I to be yes people. Whatever God asks you to say yes. What would your life look like if every time God asked you to do something, you just said yes? Could that be a challenge for you to just be a yes person? Lord, if you're asking, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll be who you want me to be. The answer here is yes, 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 yes. No maybes. Not sometime. Well, in the future, when I'm older. Maybe just before I die, Lord. If I know my life is at the end, then I'll go to that country because it, if I die, I die. But I already know I'm going to die, so that's okay. No, God has a plan and we need to say yes, yes, yes. The answer is always yes. I want you to say it with me today. Yes. yes. Isn't that freeing to say yes? yes. Say it one more time. Yes. yes. Some of you aren't saying it. <laughs> so let's say it one more time. In unison. One, two, three. Yes. yes. Do you know, there's something I... As a parent, I've got two children, as some of you know, many of you know. There's something that is awesome. When you say, kids, it's time for dinner. Can you please set, lay the table? And for them to say yes, it's just wonderful. It's like the angels start to sing in my ears. They're saying yes. Because often the comments come as, dad... So five minutes left of my show. Dad, I just won't finish my game. Dad, ah, I did, I set the table last night. It's Annalise's turn. It's Caleb's turn to wash the dishes. It's, it's so refreshing as a parent when your children say yes to you. Right? And for those of you who are parents or grandparents, hearing the words yes in response to a question is awesome. It's amazing. And you know what? Our Heavenly Father is no different. He wants people who says yes to Him. I'm calling you to go. Yes, Lord. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah had the right attitude, right? I heard him asking, who will go? Yes. Me. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. So we join him in his command. At his command. And the third example, again, is completely different. You could tie it all up with what we've just read. And yet, James goes beyond this point. We read verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, this is a crazy example of oh faith. How on earth does this story fit in this faith passage? How does Rahab the prostitute get into this passage of scripture? It seems illogical. Wouldn't you think? She's not helping someone. Well, she's helping people in need, but it's not like that kind of compassion. She's not like Abraham who moved and sacrificed his son. How did Rahab get into this passage? You see, she was willing to join God in what he was doing. She was willing to take a risk and join him. The nations had heard how God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. They were aware that God was with them. In fact, if you don't believe me, we can read the passage together. How exciting is that? We don't just have to read one verse and think about what the story could possibly look like. We have the Bible to read in the Old Testament, which makes it so exciting. All right. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. We're just going to read a little bit. This is Rahab and his, her interaction with the, the, with the spies. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that we all live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of this Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and that you did not and, and what you did to Sion and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For, here it is, for the Lord your God is, uh, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then she goes on to kind of make the request of her sparing, of them sparing her life and the life of her family. Everyone had heard that God was with them. And what was Rahab willing to do? Rahab was willing to join God at what he was doing. He, she was willing to put herself into God's camp saying, we all know God is at work here. And instead of us opposing you, I want to join you. I, I, want, to, I want to be positioned to be where God is at work. Rahab made this choice to join God. Rahab's faith was demonstrated by risking everything to join God's plan. Did God ask her to do this? No. It was her choice saying, God, you're moving and I want to be a part of it. Yes, her life was on the line, but she risked everything by even harboring the spies and, and lying to her own countrymen about where they had went. What does this look like for you and I? Often we pray, God, what is your will for my life? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Okay, a number of you nodding your heads. You prayed that prayer. But instead, really, based upon this passage, our prayer should be asking, God, open my eyes to see what you're doing so I can join you in it. You see, that prayer is the same prayer that Jesus said when he said, I only do what I see my father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. What is Jesus saying in John 5.19 when he says this? He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Meaning his eyes are open to what God is already at work doing, the Father. And he's now joining God in what his plans are. Instead of Jesus saying, what is your plans for me? His plans for him was to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was to, to watch what God is doing. And for us, it's a mind shift change. Often our universe revolves around us. And God is wanting us to look upon Him and say, God, what are you doing? How can I join you in your work? What is going on around me that I can be partakers of what you are actively doing already? Can I just add that God is at work today? Sometimes we don't realize it. Things are happening around us in the church and outside the church. And often our, our, our blinkers are on that we don't quite see it. But God is calling us to be like Rahab, who actually had a, her eyes wide open to the reality of God's hand and his, his, his work that was going on. And her willingness to say, I want to join him. Even in this church, God is doing things. Do you know that? All right, do you know that? There are things happening. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Rahab in this context of even those who be part of this church? If God is moving in the kids ministry, man, I want to be part of the kids ministry. I want to join God. If he's doing that, I want to be part of that. If God is doing something in Alpha, I, I want to be part of Alpha. 
If God is doing something in Explore, then hey, I want to be part of Explore. If God is doing something really great in the welcome ministry for people at the door, hey, I want to be part of that. The worship ministry, I mean, all sorts of things. You see, it's being, it's putting our faith into action by being involved with what God is doing. And sometimes we can sit in our seats wondering, God, why don't you ever use me? Why am I never the one with the prophecy? God said, hey, wake up. Open your eyes and join me. Look at what I'm doing and just get engaged. Be part of it. It's not being super spiritual. Rahab wasn't this super spiritual prostitute. Was she? No. It was just very, very practical. There were some spies that came to her place and she knew God was with these people. And she said, I could either oppose you or I could be with you. I choose to be with you. I want to go on God's side. By Rahab the prostitute joining in what God was doing, she became part of God's storyline for Jesus. By her lining herself and aligning herself with what God was doing, she became God's part of God's story. Her faith was lived out in action by getting involved with what God was already doing. I tell you what, I don't want to be someone who sits on the sidelines where everyone else is involved with what God is doing. I want to be where he's at. And I encourage you, church, to don't just be there warming your seats on a Sunday, but be involved with where God is at. Because I believe it's, a, it's living out the faith in practical ways. Amazing things happen when we simply put ourselves into God's hands. God is looking for our faith to be living and moving, to be active. He's not looking for people that have a dead faith, to be dead beats. In the church. But he's looking for a bride that's vibrant. That's ready. That's moving. That's active. He's not looking for dead faith people. He's looking for people who are alive. Because their outward faith is demonstrated by a life backing it up. Doing real things. It's in our day-to-day lives that our faith needs to be displayed. And so it's really summarizing just what we've looked at this morning. It's practically serving the people around us, truly loving and helping and being Christ's hands extended just in everyday life. It's being the people that are yes people, yes men and women that to whatever God asks of our lives that we're saying, we're there saying yes. But then also on the other side, it's looking at What God is doing and saying, you know what, I'm going to join you, God, in what you're doing. I might not think I've got any a knack for this kind of ministry, but I see you're at work. I want to be part of that. I don't want to sit in the sidelines. I'll make teas and coffees, but I want to be where you're at, God. You know, there's all sorts of people that are needed in God's kingdom to be doing all sorts of different things. And whether it's in the front kind of ministry or back kinds of ministry, you know, God is looking for people who are just willing to join him with what he's doing. And I want to be part of God's storyline for the future. Can I end with this statement that there are no spectators in God's kingdom? There is no such thing as a spectator 
When we enter into the kingdom in all its fullness, there will not be one person there who was there because they were a spectator of the sport. They'll only be active participants. And so to really hit this home is a challenge for your and my faith to be real. A faith that just simply believes in God is not enough. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus died for your sins. It requires action to live it out now. On all sorts of different fronts, as James points out in this passage. And it's a challenge for you and I to get in the game. To be part of it. To not be spectators. But to be people that say, God, I want to be on the front lines. I I want to be where your spirit's moving. I, I, I want, I'm yes, 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 I'm there. I want to, I want to be helping the people around me. I want to be engaged in real life stuff. Demonstrating you in the everyday things of life. This is where true faith really comes alive. And so wherever you are in the spectrum today, maybe you don't know Jesus as your savior or you're at the beginning point. You know what? It's a free gift to just say, yes, Lord, I choose to follow you. But that point you say yes to him, you're also laying down your life for him and saying, God, I now choose to serve you. And so for those of you who maybe are new in your Christian walk, you know, I encourage you to, to start taking steps of faith, which is actually just simple things of when you sense in your spirit, when something in your heart, your mind says, you need to help that person. I, I'm, I, I, I hear this voice of him wanting me to do something in particular. It's to just say, yes, I'll do that. It just start following that voice that would otherwise not be your thoughts. Just this last week, there was something I felt God asked me to do. And I initially I thought, oh, that's just a crazy idea. But then I, as I thought a little bit deeper about that, I thought, actually, no, that isn't my idea because I wouldn't think to do that. And so I know in, by saying yes to that, someone was blessed as a result. And it was just a simple act of obedience to him. And so maybe you're also in this church and you've been a Christian for a really long time, but right now you're not in the game. Can I encourage you to be like a Rahab in the sense Let me finish the statement. To be like a Rahab in how you just look for where God is moving and join him in it. Maybe right now you're not involved with anything. You know, if God is moving, don't be someone who just lets the world pass where God's just moving and you're just you're you're on the you're on the sidelines. But choose this day to get involved. Be where he's at. Join him in his work. Are you challenged a little bit this morning? Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.